0: Good afternoon. So, we're going to talk a little bit about Camille Henry's gross fatigue, but Martin is going to kind of lead with some of the contextualization and framing, and then we'll talk about uh, my participation in the work.
1: Yeah. Hi, everyone. Um, uh, I guess first to introduce, um, "Gross Fatigue" is in the um, screening uh, area, just uh, to the end of the gallery there, and it's a rather immersive installation for a single-channel projected video. It um, uh, its intention, to some degree, is to induce a kind of overwhelming experience. In the, in the title of the word, gross fatigue, could be translated from the French English as just sort of being dead tired or just totally overwhelmed. And so um, what uh, Camille L'Enroe, this is, uh, uh, can't really call her emerging, but emergent French artist of the last half decade or so is is doing is a culmination of some of the other projects she's worked in, uh, in which she's been examining um, histories, rituals, um, ethnographic uh, sort of eye turned towards different cultural belief systems. Um, she's made some earlier works that have some sense of being almost like a travelogue, documentary home movie. Uh, such a very interesting work um, shot in near the Saqqara uh, pyramids and temples in, in Egypt where instead of focusing on the kind of Monuments. she focuses on dogs that are, that are kind of uh, roaming the premises, as it were, and the sort of rubbish uh, that accumulates in any tourist site. Um, and I found it really helpful to look at some of her other works, but, but there's plenty to be read about the artist online and so forth. But what I think is really interesting is that um, here uh, you're going to see a work that's 13 minutes long, but it's kind of a compressed, filled with incident, the artist has said uh, that one of the things about this work is she'd like it to be viewed more than once Um, but she's also a bit uh, in her commentary uh, was saying that that to some degree it could be a very overwhelming and sometimes disquieting uh, experience. I hope that um, you take in all that when you're you're seeing the work but um, what would be very interesting is just to open up to, George has had um, considerable experience to say the least as a uh, curator of video at Tate Museum in London and uh, for other um, projects, and has worked with the artists. So, I was curious about some, some of your responses to the ways and the processes in which um, Camille um, is making her works. And, yeah. Uh,
0: yeah, so um, Ghost Fatigue was a point in which I and many other people encountered Camille's work. Um, And in some ways, it marks a kind of transition within her practice and a kind of shift in the way that she would gather material. Her work kind of comes out of a sort of sculptural practice, um, but also a kind of museological practice. So a lot of it's about how to organise and place images or artefacts in relationship to each other, um, and as a way to understand her relationship to these objects, but also to other cultures. Um, And at the time when I encountered her work, I was also working kind of... Which is maybe kind of interesting in parallel on a project uh, around the legacy of this um, exhibition at the Centre of Pompidou, Paris in 1989, called the Magician Saint-Tere. Uh And this was a kind of a controversial exhibition, but a kind of key touchstone. Um, it was one of the few exhibitions that tried to map out uh, international context of contemporary art, um, but very much from a kind of French perspective. French kind of intellectual perspective that I think Camille kind of really threads through. So looking at the legacies or how to kind of contradict or expand the histories of uh, the ethnographic encounter and the kind of counter ethnographies that kind of came out from the surrealist period uh, and the later generations and particularly the work of Jean Rouge. So for me, Camille was a kind of fascinating compression, not only the kind of contemporary moment but also the kind of historical moment and a kind of layers of Uh, sort of museological investigation of other cultures Uh, and so what you see in Camille's work and the kind of resonance for me was really this uh, practice that attempted to look at the kind of categorical organisations, the kind of topographies that exist within the museological structure and see where the relationship are between these modes of kind of organisation and display, modes of like kind of historical narration uh, and how to bring this back uh, bring this back to the kind of desktop, bring this back to the bodies in front of a computer. It's this kind of point at which so much of our interaction with the world now happens. Like, it's through this conduit of the computer. Um, and that conduit of the computer is a very bodily experience. Like the computer now is increasingly based on kind of touch. Um, and I think one of the really distinct things that you'll see in the film is also the interaction with objects and with different materials is constantly mediated by hands mm-hmm. that are placed um, and it kind of has a structure that relates to kind of um, like the documentation of objects that are being placed a shot but usually the hand that places the object is the thing that would be cut ahead mm-hmm. but in Camille's work the kind of hand is the things that are almost kind of cut in and so this interaction of the body with objects and with images is then kind of fundamental to of reconstructing a kind of map of the world and of relationships to other cultures. Well,
1: it's interesting also because notwithstanding her own sort of uh, processes as an individual creative artist, it's, it's interesting that, I mean, she has been grouped in from time to time with a lot of artists that have been called post-internet artists. Mm-hmm. And, People would know of, of Simon Denny here, the, uh, and would be one of the sort of most noted artists who's been categorized in that framework, who represented New Zealand at the at the last Venice Biennale. But I was thinking also, you know, in watching, and I've watched it several times now, um, Grossotique. I was thinking about there are a lot of. Uh, sort of poetic and visual um, analogies, formal analogies that keep being made, comparisons of one shape to another, one context to another, one highly different context to another, like a a Keith Haring um, street art from the 1980s in New York is transposed with um, uh, African body painting, uh, a more traditional ritual uh, uh, notion. But, and, and at first I was thinking, One thing that's really uh, was slightly, it was almost irksome to me, the formal analogies. And then, when reading more about her process, the fact that she's essentially using Google image search a lot and Google um, uh, text search a lot, and we know how that kind of gets very curious juxtapositions Mm -hmm. and and these kind of, um, you know, they can be humorous, whimsical kind of unexpected at times, and so I thought, in a a way, she's mixing her own subjectivity and inclinations as as an artist with a kind of algorithmic density that unless you're a real IT specialist, you're, you're usually not someone who thinks about those kind of under- underpinnings and so the uh, and the other thing is that in relation to that work and the process is that she she it was undertaken during a residency at the Smithsonian Institution in, in Washington DC and, and going into these archives of, of natural history um, and, and and there's one moment and I think there are quite a few moments like this but one visual moment in which the she uses the sort of pop-up window interface as a framing device in which you see the drawers, the sort of old, old style museological drawers being pulled out of a cabinet repetitively. And in a way it reminds me of, a, I talked to a fine arts librarian not uh, too long ago who was talking about how younger um, people often don't equate searching on, on the internet in an archive with say a card catalog mm-hmm. or pulling out a drawer and, you know, riffling through cards, or being in a museum and having flat files of information. Mm-hmm. And I think this, um, part of what this indicates to me is a kind of generational shift in how she processes and deals with material, and, and also mm-hmm. how that might affect, p- perhaps I've got a uh, you know an interesting um, notion of how this might be interpreted by the so-called sort of younger digital natives, mm-hmm. and people with very different kind of wider knowledge uh, pre-internet you know, <laughs> when I'm thinking about post-internet art
0: yeah absolutely and I think there's something within her work that comes out of uh, an attempt to overcome the disembodying that happens with new technologies mm-hmm. you know and I think one of the things that's interesting and when you kind of tra- track back to some of Camille's other projects is a kind of real interest in what, what the kind of material how can we understand a material relationship to an image and to the world and how this is going through Processes of changing. So some of her early works often work directly with celluloid and with direct kind of actions on top of the celluloid and kind of gestures to uh, to kind of she worked with early kind of pornographic films where she scratched out certain characters or scratched out certain images and worked with a footage shot in Vanuatu where she split the film in half to kind of create a kind of physical uh, gesture, or kind of action on the material. And I think what you see in kind of gross fatigue is a kind of question of like, what is now our material relationship to these images. How do we understand the body as a kind of measure with how we can relate to the world and understand ideas of distance or proximity? And so what you have is the kind of, then the search engine kind of replicates, that becomes a kind of, a method of kind of material investigation. So one of the earlier projects she made was a project called Egyptomania. There was a kind of um, sculptural display, but display made out of objects sourced from eBay eBay then became the kind of archive the kind of residual archive and a relationship to the exchange uh, and kind of an economy of artifacts, <laughs> but artifacts that existed and exist as a kind of series of sort of permutations or maybe kind of um, kind of algorithmic uh, degeneration as well so the kind of this sort of generational lag and re- reduction that you see when a JPEG is saved and resaved and resaved you also see in a kind of mode of sort of cultural appropriation so in Egyptomania this project as a kind of a slideshow of these artefacts that existed on Ebay it was also a kind of process of the kind of s- strange representational kind of uh, self-obliteration of Egypt or the idea of Egypt as these artefacts started to refer from kind of original material and then just only referred to the iconography and so this iconography then the original is replaced by the approximation that then ends up in these kind of peculiar versions of Egypt, which is what we kind of exist with as a kind of collective space yeah. that's actually completely divorced from a country and a culture.
1: And, and one sort of sidebar to what the film you were mentioning from uh, shot in Vanuatu and the, and the process she used to alter the film was very influenced by um, Experimental filmmaking of the 20th century, and particularly Len Lai, comes into that discussion as a kind of progenitor of a lot of things. And that, of course, there's much more highlighting of Len Lai's contribution in the last few years with the opening of the new center and, and publication of his writings and so forth. But, and who was also someone who, who you know, went and traveled globally and mm-hmm. then sort of drew from the various experiences as he had in various places. I think one thing interesting about looking at her work is, is that, um, about Camille L'Enroe's work, is sort of thinking, uh, is this someone to be almost mistaken for, a, for an anthropologist? But I think, in I've read a few interviews and she seems to want to uh, place herself in a, in a rather, in, in definitely in the position of being an artist mm-hmm who is using some uh, maybe uh, tactics drawn out of or elicited from an acquaintance but a sort of amateurs acquaintance with anthropology and I'm gonna I'm gonna read a very short quote and perhaps you can respond to this George um, uh, here she says and because and I, I was trying to look for She's a very interesting interviewee, but she goes off in a lot of different places because she's interested in, in heaps of different uh, topics. But the sort of articulation about some of her uh, thoughts about her work says, quote, as an artist, I have the freedom to browse through ideas with the curiosity of the amateur. Um, I'm allowed to have an irrational approach to knowledge, which is a privilege I appreciate a lot. I see the world as a fragmented ensemble, and that fragmentation is harrowing. Uh, through the research implied by my projects, I can establish some continuity. And, uh, I mean, just to a certain degree, you have this kind of uh, uh, discontinuous flow of material that then is kind of sewn and sutured together in a a particular way in the video that you're going to
0: see. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, because I think one of these issues, and also this kind of very, is the idea of creativity and how to locate that now and how to think about that in different kind of temporal frameworks. Um, And I think this is something that you'll see, you know, in Gross Fatigue and also in other projects, is how to understand, like, what does it mean to make work now, and how do we locate this idea of creativity, and what does that mean in a different kind of cultural context. The work Gross Fatigue, um, when we presented it in London, it was in collaboration with the Chisholm Hill Gallery, uh, who were working with Camille on an expanded project called The Pale Fox. And this is an installation project uh, that assembled many objects found, uh, some created by the artist itself, but as a way to kind of demarcate and talk about uh, the origin point of kind of creativity. And the Pale Fox itself is a, a character, kind of an emblem. The Pale Fox is a master of disorder and it's seen as a kind of this creative force. And this is a master of disorder in, from uh, Dogon uh, culture, which is a kind of a very particular kind of tribal culture that exists in Mali. They were studied in kind of very influential way by a series of French anthropologists. And what's interesting also with the kind of Dogon culture is they were involved in rituals, very elaborate rituals, but they are also uh, incredibly distended in time. So the kind of original study of the Dogon uh, tribe in the kind of early 30s it was very influential on in successive generations of anthropologists. Um, was also marked that the kind of point of meeting was at a point where they were anticipating certain rituals that were not going to be manifested for, except for another 60 years. And then it, so it had this kind of interesting kind of land that the anthropologists would hear stories about other kind of rituals that were going to take place, but they were going to take place out of time at a different point. And so later the filmmaker Jean Rouche accompanied a trip to go and work with them to film the Dogon tribe. And at this point they then were able to kind of document some of the process of rituals that were talked about at a previous point. And I think this kind of um, sort of dislocation temporally and how to try and find the point uh, in which to kind of intersect or to engage with culture and to try to think about how to understand the kind of present moment but in kind of these broader kind of historical movements and developments um, while still embracing the kind of uh, spirit of disorder uh-huh. is also kind of fundamental to how Camille's attempts to sort of navigate and pull in these different strands and material
1: but I was wondering if, if in some ways today the kind of uh, uh, as you were mentioning the, the internet processes mm-hmm. and so forth and, and search engines and yeah. networks and sort of I I mean artists um, and I know particularly artists working in in newer media much of the time we are talking about the sort of distribution of information Mm -hmm. in networks so that it's harder to sort of pin down one subjective kind of uh, rarefied view of the artist in the studio as Mm -hmm. this lone person and and I know that in her project she's often uh, enlisted like she has a musician, uh, a cinematographer, um, uh, a singer, a narrator, um, and all these sort of things, and and a writer, mm. poet, coming into it, and and it, it's curious to me in some ways that still we, we associate it and say, oh yes, we're going to go see the Camille on Road video. Yeah, yeah. But her process seems to be a lot more like the kind of production, other forms of cultural production mm. like like cinema and so mm. forth. We you, you really need a crew to make the work.
0: So yeah. Far and I think it's, you know, it's kind of um, it's interesting that Camille prior to sort of developing her own practice also worked with uh, Pierre Huig yeah. as an assistant so there's also this kind of uh, intergenerational dialogue that artists are not working in isolation and that isolation is not only in terms of the groups in which they practice um, the people who are involved in terms of the collaborators within the Natural History Museum, the dialogue with the curators who also assemble and look after these objects and then Camille can go and film and record so bring into the work, It also kind of talks about other distribution of kind of the labour of art practice and how actually the understanding of what kind of contemporary artist is is very recent idea, the kind of atomized idea of the artist is sole practitioner. Sure. Well, um,
1: I mean, you raise the fact that. Um, uh, I mean, I was struck by how many different sorts of projects she has made that are apart from, you know, screen-based, uh, time-based projects, like installations or even a, a really curious project called uh, 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 Can Revolutionaries Still Like Flowers, essentially? And it, and it was, she had moved to America and then started missing her book collection and then was working on these, using the Japanese ikabana tradition of flower arranging to make these sort of tributes to uh, uh, revolutionary works of of, uh, political uh, thought and and literature and so forth and so and and then it expanded into a very kind of large, very aestheticized body of work which um, seemed quite different than uh, some of the other things you've been working on or the idea that a video that's shot in a particular kind of space that might spur on uh, an installation or another type of video and so it's very much the kind of uh, post-studio you know, movement towards uh, uh, a kind of dispersed practice and Pierre Weed would be a very interesting yeah. sort, of, uh, uh, sort of example of that mm-hmm. you know, but I guess the generation before you know, you know.
0: Yeah and I think it's also important, um, one of her early films as well was a portrait of an uh, architect social and kind of utopian architect, Yona Friedman and I think that's also a really important kind of influence and uh, link throughout the practice. also thinking about how art affects the way people engage socially, how the kind of construction of space or the kind of theories around architecture are also about what are the points of opportunity for the way people can congregate and meet and exchange. And I think in some ways other of her projects and trying to look at the internet as a way to use... To kind of bring together and create kind of meeting points of cultural objects, how objects can talk to each other, um, how different cultural traditions can talk to each other. We're also kind of coming out of a a desire to kind of open up art to kind of take into account broader kind of social movements that can happen within the gallery, but also within the city or within the kind of meeting points that maybe have potential or kind of. inherent within the kind of structures of the internet but the arch- architecture's maybe not there uh-huh. to enable those. So I think there's really a desire to try and think like how can this kind of mapping, how can these dialogues kind of enable different modes of exchange understanding and kind of interaction also kind of uh, reflection of what it is. What does cultural production mean now and in uh, kind of dispersed context? What does it mean for French artists based in New York to work yeah. with collections drawn from uh, you know, kind of global uh, histories of colonial exploitation and research.
1: I know we're perilously close to getting and reaching the end of our time, but I, I, I want to insert an important question, I think, that I mean, I was kind of grappling with and looking at some of uh, Camille and work, is the sort of difference between how uh, depending on cultural setting, mm-hmm. using Archival materials using uh, traditional uh, indigenous materials using ritual artifacts that have a function in a very specific cultural um, identification that's that's not merely a sort of uh, uh, formal uh, or art uh, uh, sort of identity and and the fact that in, in some ways I think the the rules shift depending on which. Situation you're in, and I think here, uh, particularly in a bicultural society which is increasingly multicultural and, and kind of super diverse, as they've called Auckland recently, there's a, 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 a very particular notion of what an artist is likely to uh, be able to uh, uh, say in relation to historical materials without having a very committed, um, uh, engaged, uh, ongoing relationship with. Members of that living culture. I mean, mm-hmm. in the sense that you know, uh, uh, that similarly with with uh, Dogon um, uh, tribe, they're still uh, emissaries of that community today. Just as Maori uh, are in Pacifica, um, there, there's a very particular notion that that uh, this isn't something to be taken lightly when you mm-hmm. enter into cultural um, uh, sort of appropriation and representation, and I'm, I'm wondering about, you, you've said that you've had different responses showing, say, meals were here yeah. and in Europe, and I was wondering if you had thoughts on the sort of, this kind of difference in how uh, the reception, depending on which communities are perceived.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of uh, fascinating. I think it's uh, something she's also attempting to figure out how to mediate you know, figure out and embed within her work. Particularly she's now been invited to do projects in a broader and more distributed manner. But I think it's something that in some ways the kind of gross fatigue is also about the kind of difficulty of how we understand kind of cultural dialogue now, you know, how we understand the responsibility and the histories of these objects, and who can talk about them or for them. Yeah. Um, and there's a definitely a desire to kind of, uh, which I think is shared by Broader circle of artists to try to rethink uh, relationship to the world and to objects, to physical objects as kind of cultural artifacts, but also how to do that in a way that doesn't reinforce uh, divisive or kind of national histories or national narratives. How to do that in ways that kind of facilitate kind of exchange and overlap, and also to kind of acknowledge not only kind of recent histories of uh, exchange and kind of, uh, colonization, but also to think of it in broader kind of temporalities as well. So how to mediate between, uh, the kind of present moment, kind of this sort of rapid, uh, instantaneous culture, but also kind of more like broader narratives or different types of temporalities that are also maybe geological time or also cosmic time, which I think sure. is also kind of factor within some vision within Camille's work to try and understand that all these kind of relationships are kind of embedded in broader kind of circles of kind of temporality as well: Well I thought
1: we'd have much to talk about within a, a fairly uh, uh, our own temporal framework coming to an end here but thanks George <laughs> I um, should probably yield the floor
0: <laughs> <laughs> mm. um, I'm very about just, really in just I here, and I was looking
1: at the film and thinking. Kind of uh, engages in quite a lot of magical thinking. Yeah. Mm. You know, and I just wondered about, um, and and this would be true of actually a lot of post internet art, that we have a lot of kind of high tech primitivism, a lot of high tech magical thinking.
0: Mm. And I wondered if you had any thoughts about This. this surprising return of primitivism. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting and it's something that's been uh, starting to be debated more and I think it's a very important debate because there is, you know, kind of internet purports to be the mode in which we can now engage with and see the world. So then it is a mechanism of kind of sight in the way that maybe cinema was before. Um, but within that there's all, a lot of kind of, uh, there's a lot of inherited structures and kind of dynamics also then dictate how we encounter kind of an object or kind of the return to an object is also a return to this like disembodied artifact, yeah. which is the kind of manifestation of the kind of ideas of the kind of primitive. I mean, it's interesting recently I was in a conference um, with a Chinese curator called Venus Lao, and she was saying the strange thing about internet art and a lot of these works is also that they're talking about two different internets. That in China, you don't have the same internet. You don't have the same access to Google, people are not on Twitter and Facebook, so you can't access it unless you go through VPN. So I think this is the kind of strange danger of kind of post internet art that people are talking about kind of totalizing the structure, which is, you know, kind of mediated on certain types of experience and uh, mediating certain perspectives that then kind of remap the world. But not necessarily in a way that's kind of critically aware of the fact that the world is remapping is only taught a certain set of people's experience. some um, uh,
1: Camille Monroe, uh, Simon Denny, English they'll be seen as artists that come out of some kind of uh, research paradigm, but mm. actually they don't necessarily use particularly
0: rational processes for getting yeah. things together. Yeah. They're not the processes that you develop in order to build computers. But once you have them, you can use them to indulge
1: in all sorts of strange ways mm. of imagining. But for some reason, these sort of discussions, Robert, remind me of uh, uh dictum that conceptual artists are not rationalists, they're yeah. mystics, they yeah. reach to conclusions that logic cannot reach, you know, and so, and that was a sort of 1967 uh, statement or, or thereabouts, or 69, and so the notion that. I think dealing with, or I think historically, the way you were kind of alluding to the entropic quality of, of Camille Andros' work, and mm-hmm. it makes me think of people like Robert Smithson or a fair amount of sort of artists who, who use a very idiosyncratic view that predate this sort of current moment, but I do think generationally mm-hmm. there's huge shifts going on about what one feels. Um, is viable that you can use as material? Like, if it's within a click, why can't you use it? Why isn't it mine? You know, mm-hmm. um, and and so it, it changes some of the dialogues about what cultural appropriation is. It may be not in certain ways, but in other ways, mm-hmm. very significant.
0: I think there's definitely a debate that needs to kind of be sort of brought up as well about because it's very similar to looking back at early cinema, the beginning of cinema and the kind of beginning of this technology that started to map the world but from a very clear kind of perspective, this kind of first year and I think the internet is kind of replicating the structures that are not too dissimilar to this advent of the new technology. There's a technology of exchange in the same way that, you know, the original film cameras were also projected so people would go film somewhere, show a film to that place and send a film back and there's a similar kind of mapping project happening through kind of the digital domain. And it's the question now, is like, how do we also bring in uh, kind of critical reflection on that that's kind of beyond or not um, in kind of service or in fascination of the modes of seeing that kind of internet enables, that kind of creates a new kind of actuality, which is like Hito's Styles, like dancing video, you know, an incredible like return to a kind of expressive gesture that is possible within this substructure.